This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 113. I'm Jim Garrity. Today's episode, Instant Privilege Loss in Depositions. Hey, everybody. I hope you're doing well and that the week is treating you very kindly. Today's episode is just a reminder that privileges of any kind can be waived, in other words, lost instantly, if you don't act the moment a question calling for privileged testimony is asked, or the moment an inadvertently produced document containing privileged information is being used. This is very different from principles on privilege waiver when it comes to the accidental production of privileged documents in response to a request for production. Generally speaking, there is no instant waiver in that context. Courts generally don't expect parties to produce documents and then immediately go through that production again to see if anything that just went out shouldn't have. The committee notes, in fact, to Federal Rule of Evidence 502B, the waiver rule, says exactly that, quote, the rule does not require the producing party to engage in a post-production review to determine whether any protected communication or information has been produced by mistake. But the rule does require the producing party to follow up on any obvious indications that a protected communication or information has been produced inadvertently, end quote. The driving principle in any setting is that you've got to act quickly once you are on fair notice that privileged documents or information has been or is being disclosed. And that's why in depositions, waiver of a privilege is near instantaneous. It's because the question is right there in front of you being asked or the document is being marked, the document containing allegedly privileged information that you might have accidentally produced, is being marked as an exhibit and slid across the table to your client. So the lesson for today is this. If your client is asked a question that you immediately recognize as calling for privileged disclosures, it is a hair on fire moment. You must object immediately and instruct your client not to answer the question. And if the opposing lawyer marks as an exhibit a document you accidentally produced or that you recognize as privileged uh, produced by someone and that should not be in the adversary's hands, you must likewise object, instruct your client not to answer, and demand the return of the document. It is not enough to simply object. Your clients cannot answer questions that call for the disclosure of privileged information subject to your objection. They cannot answer at all without risking waiver. All right, Federal Rule of Evidence 502b2 covers this point. So let's review the text of that rule very briefly because it's also the language of a supermajority of state evidentiary rules on the waiver of privilege. Uh, Federal Rule 502 is titled Attorney-Client Privilege and Work Product Limitations on Waiver. And here we go. The following provisions apply in the circumstances set out to disclosure of a communication or information covered by the attorney-client privilege or work product privilege. Subsection B, 502B, inadvertent disclosure. When made in a federal proceeding or to a federal office or agency, the disclosure does not 
operate as a waiver in a federal or state proceeding if, one, the disclosure is inadvertent, two, the holder of the privilege or protection took reasonable steps to prevent disclosure, and three, the holder of the privilege took reasonable steps to correct or rectify the error. Now, here's a quote from the case we have in the show notes today, Luna Gaming San Diego is how I will refer to it, that succinctly makes this point. And they say, quote, Rule 502b3 requires that the holder of the privilege promptly take reasonable steps to rectify the error when the privilege holder objects immediately upon discovery of the inadvertent disclosure, the rule is satisfied. But under state and federal law, if a privileged document is used at a deposition and the privilege holder fails to object immediately, the privilege is waived. Now, the court goes on to say that not only failing to object will result in waiver, but failing to stop responses to the questions at a deposition that call for the disclosure of privileged information will also waive the privilege. All right, so here's the scenario in the Luna Gaming case in the show notes. The plaintiff and defendant there enter into a protective order, which contains procedures for resolving disputes when they arise involving privileged documents. And that's very common, as I'm sure you know, in many types of litigation. The general drill is that before sensitive documents are produced, Parties will often enter into an agreement saying if either of us produce something that appears to be privileged and the production appears to have been inadvertent or unknowing, we can both demand that the other side return it and they will. So the parties here signed one of those agreements. Now, in the course of this litigation, the plaintiff did in fact accidentally produce one or more privileged documents to the defendant. A month after that inadvertent production, the defense is deposing a witness and marks one of the inadvertently produced privileged documents as an exhibit. What does the defense lawyer then do after he marks it as an exhibit? He asks three questions, according to the opinion, that lasted two minutes. Now, as I will discuss in a minute, that was enough to result in waiver of the privilege as to that document. Three questions, 120 seconds, waiver. The Luna Gaming ruling also indicates that in this deposition, the plaintiff's counsel was actually handed a courtesy copy of the privileged document that was about to be marked as an exhibit and about to become the subject of questioning. Court apparently suggesting that the plaintiff's counsel then had actual notice that a privileged document was about to be used. And the court points out that plaintiff's counsel did not object at that point or ask for the return of the document. So again, to be more precise, three questions, 120 seconds, no objection, no demand for return, instant waiver. Uh, and there's more. Two months later, in another deposition, uh, the defense in the same case used the same privileged document. This time, plaintiff's counsel said, we object and we are invoking our right to claw back or demand back the privileged document or documents. What does the defense say? They say, well, you failed to object to their use at the prior deposition, and so despite being placed on actual notice, you allowed the examination about the document, and you've waived the privilege. Now, in this colloquy at the second deposition, plaintiff's counsel evidently adhered to the position 
that this document was still privileged, but nonetheless permitted questioning again on the privileged document. Didn't instruct the witness not to answer the questions. Didn't move for a protective order, at least in the deposition, before questions were asked and answered. The next day, uh, the documents in question were used again by the defense. Plaintiff's counsel again objected and made reference to the agreement the parties signed, saying that if, if in fact any documents were inadvertently produced, they had to be returned upon request. But that agreement apparently didn't take into account the law of waiver. And here's the quote from the ruling finding waiver that illustrates how quickly privilege can be lost. The court says Dorsey, that's the defendant, used the 2003 memo at the deposition of a particular witness. Counsel for Dorsey asked that witness to review the document and asked three questions about it, an exchange that lasted nearly two minutes, so not even 120 seconds. Luna's counsel, the court says, neither objected nor asked for the return of the document. And based on the federal and state law cited above and Rule 502b3's requirement that the plaintiff promptly rectify inadvertent disclosure upon discovery, uh, the plaintiff's failure to object at that deposition waived the privilege. So keep that in mind. Again, the documents were apparently used in multiple depositions, but the court found that as to at least one of the documents, the privilege was lost in the first deposition after three questions and three answers lasting just under two minutes. All right, so some practice tips and then we'll be done. First, as always, the solution for many problems that arise in depositions begin with your preparation, right? It's important to prep your deponents for questions that may call for the disclosure of privileged information. And it's really not just attorney client, it's not just work product, it's doctor patient, psychotherapist patient, spousal privilege, accountant client privilege, any privilege that applies to your case. It's really important to educate your client slash deponent, at least briefly, about the notion of privileges that may apply and that might come up in the deposition. Attorney, client, and work product to be sure in all cases, but maybe some of these others, depending on your facts. During your practice sessions with your deponent, slip in some questions that call for the disclosure of privileged information. And consider being very casual about it, so there's nothing about your demeanor or tone of voice that alerts your client that a bombshell question is coming. Force them to spot the incoming curveball on their own. Train them to do that. Consider asking more overt questions like, what did you tell your lawyer, your doctor, your accountant, partner, whatever it is? Did you discuss that with your attorney? Did you write that email based on a recommendation from your lawyers? Did your lawyers recommend that you resign or that you return the product design uh, documents? Some of these questions call for a very quick and simple yes or no answer. So if your client hasn't at least been given a heads up or a practice run on it, their answer may come out before you can make an objection. And at that point, of course, the information is out and gone and not coming back. So go over the attorney client, work product, and other applicable privileges. This is one of the things I cover in the suggested depot prep topics in the new fourth edition of the book on pages 408 and 440. As a footnote, also covered in the new fourth edition is the waiver threat that comes from agreements to continuing or standing objections. 
Now, I explained what that is, a continuing objection in the book, but if you're not familiar, a continuing or standing objection is one where the lawyers in a deposition agree that the defending lawyer or lawyers have an objection to an entire line of questions on a given topic, and so to be relieved of the obligation to blurt out an identical objection in response to every question on that topic, the lawyers agree that the defending lawyers have a quote-unquote standing objection to the entire line and need not raise the same objection over and over. Uh, in the book, in section 1408 on page 539, I cite cases that say that at a deposition, questions calling for privileged information cannot be answered subject to a standing objection. So even if you and the opposing counsel agree to hold back objections, Privileges are something you lose if you don't prevent your client from answering the question. Second practice pointer. Obviously, pay close attention to the questions. You must object immediately if a question calls for the disclosure of privileged information. And if the opposing lawyer, the examining lawyer, marks a privileged document that you didn't intend to produce as an exhibit, or if it's privileged and was produced from some other source, You've got to object immediately, instruct your client not to answer the question, and demand the return of the document. If it's not returned immediately, seek immediate court relief. So four steps. Object on privilege grounds. Instruct your client not to answer. Demand the return of the document. And seek immediate court relief if it isn't returned. You're generally on solid ground if you make at least a colorable good faith assertion of privilege. You have to make those objections in order to preserve your rights and to preserve your client's privilege. Courts understand that, so you shouldn't fear arguments about sanctions or threats of sanctions if you have a good faith basis to assert a privilege and instruct your client not to answer. Now, you might have even run into lawyers whose standard operating procedure is to ask questions about privileged matters. Some lawyers are very aggressive about that. And their questions may seek to elicit privileged information indirectly by asking about things like the chronology of events. So be careful. And here's an example. One question might be, did you meet with your lawyer just before sending this email? Or did you, as a result of your meeting with your lawyer, send this memo? Now, what does a question call for that asks whether your client did something because of a meeting with you? Well, it's possible in a technical way that it doesn't explicitly call for the disclosure of privileged information, but if we stand back and look at that question, that is clearly what it appears to be asking for, right? They're asking your client if they took a particular step based on professional advice from whoever. And those kinds of questions begin to reveal the substance of privileged communications very quickly. Okay, that's it for today. Let's summarize and then wrap up. In depositions, privilege loss is near instantaneous if you don't act immediately to halt the disclosure or use of privileged information. Protection is a four-step effort. Objection, instruction, demand, motion. That's objection to the questions, instructions not to answer, demands for return of privileged documents, and motion practice if the opposing counsel or whoever's in possession of the document will not return it immediately and destroy all copies. So that's the lesson for today. Never allow your deponent 
to answer questions simply by objecting on a question-by-question -question basis. Never allow your deponents to answer questions on privileged topics subject to a standing objection. And never allow testimony or the use of a document based on a general agreement or protective order that allows you to demand the return or clawback of inadvertently produced privileged documents. As the plaintiff in the Luna Gaming case found, waiver can result if action isn't swift, even if there is a general agreement in place that contemplates the return of privileged documents. That general agreement only applies if we haven't already otherwise waived the privilege. All right, that's it for today. We'll talk to you again soon. Have a great week.